Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. And the church said? Amen. Amen. Good morning. And welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. We were just singing that beautiful song. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Someone say Jesus. Jesus. But I, I, I was struck by the fact that some people may not understand why it's such a beautiful name. And um, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so God chose the, the, the Jewish people to bring forth uh, the redemption of all mankind, that, that's the birth of Jesus Christ through him. And in the Jewish system, there were sacrifices. Every single year they had to sacrifice, and God put that in place as a foreshadowing of, of what would have to come when the, well, when they looked at Jesus, they said, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And within the Jewish culture, whenever there was sin in the camp or whatever, there was a, a sacrifice that needed to be made. And so they would take the blood of a lamb or an animal, and they would shed that blood, and they would sprinkle it. And this was a foreshadowing. And it literally says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin because life is in the blood. And then at the right time, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world who ultimately shed his blood on the cross for every single one of us. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Someone say Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for shedding your blood for us. Well, last week we started a series based on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8, and we called it Love Is. Love Is. And because the Apostle Paul didn't want to leave the subject of love up to interpretation because in the absence of, biblical, of a biblical definition, how many know people will make up their own definition of what love is? From the sublime to the absolute ridiculous. I, I, I was looking online, and, and I've known this for a few years. There's an organization out there called NAMBLA. NAMBLA, North American Man Boy Love association, NAMBLA. And what do they advocate? They advocate that it's a, it's a pedophilia organization, a, a, a pederasty, I'm probably saying it wrong, but it advocates for the, for the um, love between men and children, boys, an organization out there fighting for the right for men to have relationships with boys. And they call it love. How ridiculous is that? How absolutely perverted. If you look in the scripture, the Bible says God is love. And even in the Old Testament, he says there are things that are not loving. In fact, he says there are certain behaviors that in the Jewish community um, would, it would cause them to be stoned, killed. They should be killed if they mess with children. And then if you go into the New Testament, the New Testament, Jesus says it's better to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and to be thrown into the sea for someone to hurt one of God's children. Yet there's an organization that's defining love by relationship between men and children. That's perverted and absolutely disgusting. And so Paul didn't want to leave love 
to the interpretation of people. Uh, even not as severe as that, you have people who says, if you really love me, then you will fill in the blank. And, and it's some manipulative, uh, some uh, ridiculous you know, notion of what love is. And it's usually self-seeking and self-serving. And Paul describes biblical love as being the most excellent way. And when implemented, he says this kind of love, the love that the Bible talks about, when implemented properly, he says it will never fail. Never fail. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, he says, love is patient. And love is kind. It does not envy, nor does it boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then it says, love never fails. And so last week we jumped into the series and we took the first of those uh, where it says love is patient, i.e. I- love has a long fuse, it's, it's slow to boil, it counts down before it blasts off. And it learns to patiently wait on the Lord going at his pace rather than racing ahead of him. I hope we learned some things last week. Well, then Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says another aspect of love. He says, love is kind. Love is kind. And that's what I kind of want us to focus on this morning or to consider this morning. Now, if we were describing our world today, would we describe it as a kind world? I mean, literally, there's wars going on in the Middle East. There's uh, Russia invading Ukraine. We just had news reports of Russia, uh, Vladimir taking out his opponent after, you know, charging him with, you know, false charges about uh, trying to get him locked up, got him locked up under false pretenses and then ultimately killing him. And then the United States is wagging their finger at them, judgmental-like, as if we are in this country doing the same thing against their own political uh, parties. Come on, somebody. Love is kind, and the answer would be today, well, six years ago when I gave this message, the answer was no, and today the answer is equally no. No, in fact, it appears to have gotten worse. Now, concerning actual kindness, I heard a story about a woman who was standing at a bus stop. She had just cashed her tax uh, refund check, and so she was carrying more money than usual and was a little bit nervous about that. She glanced around and she noticed this poorly dressed man standing nearby. And as she watched, she saw a man walk up to him, hand him some money, and whisper something in his ear. She was so touched by that act of kindness that she decided to do the same. And in a burst of generosity, she reached into her purse, took out $10, handed it to the man, and whispered to him, never despair, never despair. The next day when she came to the bus stop, there he was again. But this time he walked up to her and handed her $110. Dumbfounded, she asked, what's this for? And he said, lady, you won. Never despair, paid 10 to 1. (laughs) (laughs) 
Listen, I, I can't promise that every act of kindness will pay 10 to 1. And at times, kindness may even cost us something and require a sacrifice on our behalf. But listen, I can promise this, that whatever you do on this earth may be unnoticed by people, but it's no, noticed by God. Amen? Amen? It's celebrated in heaven. Matthew 10, 42, Jesus says, a cup of water can't be given in my name without you getting your reward. Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Do you believe that? Yes. James said it like this. In James 2.14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, he says, is dead. And so again, at, at times, kindness may require a, a, a cost of something or a sacrifice on our behalf, but it's with that in mind that we come to our, our main text this morning. And, to, and we're going to be looking at a couple of people in the Bible that Jesus had an encounter with, a, a passage where he showed two people extraordinary kindness in, in entirely different ways. One is a man and the other is a woman, and one is an outcast and poor and unknown. The other is rich and influential. And so he didn't show a distinguish between the rich and the poor. He treated them both with great kindness. And by the time of this story, Jesus had gained a great deal of fame. He, he was probably at the pinnacle of his popularity. People respected him as a healer and a teacher. There were crowds swarming him everywhere he went. But despite the pressures and the popularity and despite the crowds constantly pushing around him, despite all the demands on his time, Jesus, in his kindness, stopped everything he was doing to help meet the needs of the people around him. The religious columnist, Cal Thomas, he wrote this, Love talked, of, talked about is easily ignored, but love demonstrated is irresistible. Jesus not only talked about the, the love and kindness, but he modeled it for us as well. So this morning, let's look and see the ways that Jesus showed kindness to them, because I think those are the ways that we can learn to be kind to each other. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. And when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, and they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. And as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Now, we're told where, where Jesus was going, probably we're not told where he was going initially, but probably he was on his way to some place where he could teach and preach to the crowds around him. And that was something that was very important for him to do because that's what he did regularly. 
But as soon as Jairus, this synagogue leader, came and made the request about his daughter, the very next words we read are, as Jesus was on his way. So evidently, whatever Jesus was doing at the beginning, he immediately changed directions and started following Jairus because this little girl's situation was more pressing than wherever he was scheduled to go. Now, here's the question this morning. How well do you handle interruptions? Some people work best when they can concentrate on one thing and see it through to completion, and they normally don't do two or three things well at the same time. So if they're concentrating and someone interrupts them, they consider that an intrusion, a major interruption, and perhaps that's you today as well. But as you get older in the things of the Lord, you're you're going to learn some things. You're going to learn that interruptions are sent by God. Listen to me. Because there are opportunities to minister that you would miss if you ignored them. If you just go on with your project and don't allow yourself to be interrupted, if, you're, if you aren't flexible enough to change directions and go another way, you're going to miss great opportunities that God may place before you. As I think about this, someone probably 25% to 50% of my ministry have been what I call divine interruptions. Phone calls, unexpected house calls, or even unexpected visits while I'm here in the office and all of a sudden I get a phone call. Pastor Rick, someone is in trouble. I remember just maybe three, four years ago, uh, uh, Pastor Alex was calling me, him and Huli. They had a friend who who they've been ministering to, who was uh, steep into Eastern religions and crystals and all these things, not realizing that as she was doing these things, she had opened herself up to demonic. A young girl. And, I, and, and Pastor Rick, she is in trouble. She's losing her mind. Can, can we bring her by for prayer? And I was in the middle of preparing for Sunday. Divine interruption came into my office. We sat in the, the office with the three of us, praying and ministering to her and doing a deliverance on her as these things left her. Three hours later, now she's in her right mind and serving the Lord, and she's still serving the Lord today. Divine interruption. Jesus paid attention to Jairus, and he changed his plans and his direction, but Jairus wasn't the only interruption that day. Jesus was flexible and kind enough to pause and meet another need as he was on his way to Jairus' house. Luke chapter 8, verse 42. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying, go ahead, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, verse 43. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who, who touched me, Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, and I know that power has gone out from me. Now again, there were crowds of people surrounding him, and everyone was in a hurry and yet Jesus was able to differentiate between the touch of the crowd and a personal touch from a woman who needed his help. Now, can I just say this? That our world is becoming more and more impersonal. 
I mean, you go to the gas station, you don't even have to talk to anybody anymore. You just put your card in the slot, you pump the gas, and you can, you can drive away without ever looking at another human being. It's the same with the banks. My wife and I were driving home from, um, we went to see Tarsus. Happy birthday, Tarsus, if you're, if you're, if you're, paying, if you're watching, uh, Jared. Jared. Um, but on our way back, we stopped at the, the, the rest station, and you you don't even go up to the counter anymore for the KFC because I wanted some KFC. They said, go to the kiosk. And so now I got to go to a kiosk and I got to figure out, I have to push this and then I got to push that. And then I got to order my two chicken, my two chicken things. I guess I like the chicken legs. Ready to pay, hit the pay button, put your thing in. I'm not talking to anybody. Finally, once you do that, then, then you walk over to the thing. The one thing the lady said, is, says, you got to go to the kiosk first. I did the kiosk. Put my name in. Oh, okay. Everything, McDonald's is becoming the same way. How about the airlines? If you, if you can't get through on, 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 online in any major city, you call and you hear computerized voice. If you want information regarding departing flights, press 1. For arriving flights, press 2, press 1, and, and, and it says, if you know your flight number, press 1. You press 1 again, and it says, enter your flight number. You punch that in the computerized voice, then tells you the correct, the correct gate and the number. You never have to talk to anybody. We, we, Deb and I were out for breakfast, and there was a, at um, First Watch, and, and there was a woman there with three of her teenage children. And we looked and every single one of them, the three kids, were on their little phones. And so was the mother. That was the time. No one's talking. Everyone's on their phones. And now Google has these virtual glasses. Have you seen those? And now people are walking outside doing this in crowded rooms looking like fools. It's become a very impersonal world, but Jesus took the time to stop in the midst of a crowd to give a woman his personal attention as though she was the only one. I want you to write this down. Jesus expressed his kindness in at least three ways. The first way is by listening to people, by listening to people. He paid attention to their needs. Luke chapter 8 verse 47 says, then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed came trembling and fell at his feet and in the presence of all the people she told why she had touched them and how she had instantly healed, was instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, you need to understand the seriousness of her situation. Because of her disease, she was considered unclean and therefore was an outcast. And this came from the book of the law in the Jewish custom. In, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 15, verse 25, I invite you to read it with me. It says, if a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean as during her menstrual period. The woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on, any object she sits on, this is in the Bible, during that time will be unclean. 
just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes, bathe yourselves in water, and you'll remain unclean until the evening. And when the woman's bleeding stops, she must count off seven days, then she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons and present them to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle. The priest will offer one for, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And through this process, the priest will purify her before the Lord for ceremonial impurity caused by her bleeding. Well, my question to you is, how long was she bleeding for? It wasn't one week or one month or even one year. How long? Twelve years. And so she was considered unclean and treated that way for 12 years, like someone who had leprosy. So because of that, she had not been living with a family, presumably for 12 years. And, and, and so her self-esteem must have been as low as it could possibly be. And she must have felt like a nobody. But Jesus surprises her, first of all, by stopping and listening to her story. And the one in the Bible was probably a condensed version of her story. She must have thought, I'm going to die today. Wait, is he really stopping to listen to me? Because this is the first time in years that anyone's listened to me. Now, can I just say... For those who are here today and you're maybe going through some struggles and you might have thought to yourself that God might not be listening, that is so untrue. God is listening to you. Amen? And so I imagine that she poured out her heart to him and Jesus listened. And by listening and, and looking at her, he paid attention to her. And while he was doing that, he was displaying real kindness. My question to you today is, are you a good listener? Are you a good listener? Truth is, probably most of us aren't. We, we, we pass each other by and we, and we say stuff like, how are you? And then we expect an automatic, I'm fine. And, 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 and if you ever got caught off guard and someone really told you how they felt, you, you, you're annoyed. I, I wasn't TMI, too much information. You just wanted the, the cliff note version. I'm okay. I think that's probably true of most of us. We really don't take the time to listen, do we? But there's so many of us who just need somebody to just focus on us and listen to what we have to say. And that's an act of kindness all by itself. My pastor used to say there's a reason why God has given you two ears and just one mouth. Maybe we can listen twice as much as we talk. Amen. Secondly, Jesus expects kindness by being considerate of others. And the third, by cultivating an understanding spirit. By being considerate of others and by cultivating an understanding spirit. Now, what do I mean by this? Luke chapter 8, verse 49 while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Now, mind you, he's ministering to this woman who reached out in desperation and touched the hem of his garment, and virtue 
came from him and she was healed. And he stopped in the midst of the crowd and he said, who touched me? And his disciples were incredulous. It'll be easier to answer who hasn't touched you. Everyone's been touching. He said, no, someone touched me in faith. And trembling, this woman comes forward because he's not moving. Who's, who's touched me? And she tells him what has been going on in her life. And I love Jesus' response. He says, daughter, daughter. He didn't, he didn't even call her, you know, he, he called her daughter. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he is still talking, mind you, he was on his way to Jairus' house. Somebody comes and says, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. Verse 50. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. Now, could you imagine being Jairus? He came all that way. He fell, and he's a, he's a to-do. He's a, he's a synagogue leader. But when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged, please come with me, my one and only daughter. Think about how you feel about your own children. She's dying. She's 12 years old. And Jesus stopped what he was doing and started following him. Now there's interruption, and now the word is, don't bother him anymore. She's died. And Jesus turns to him. And says, don't be afraid, just believe, she'll be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and the mother. Uh, that kind of went off in my spirit. Because sometimes, not everyone's going to get you. Come on, somebody. Not everyone's going to get your level of faith. And so you've got to be careful who you're going to let be around you because they could be your faith killers. And so he only allowed Peter, James, and John and the parents of the child to come in. Now, while all the people were wailing and mourning for her, Jesus says, stop wailing. She's not dead but asleep. Verse 53, and they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. Now, I'm, to me again, how you go from wailing to laughing in moments. In the Jewish custom, they would have people who are what they call professional mourners. They, they, go, to, they go to funerals. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they do a whole lot of wailing. They're professional mourners. And, and I believe, like, that's why in the moment when Jesus said, no, nah, she ain't dead, she's she just asleep, they went from crying, supposedly, to laughing in that moment. Verse 54, but he took her by the hand and he said, child, my child, get up. Her spirit, the Bible says, returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Now listen, let's concentrate on those last few verses for a moment, because the miracle is exceptional, and we praise God for it, amen? But notice what Jesus told them after the miracle was over. He, he said, give her something 
to eat. Practical advice. She'd gone through a traumatic experience. How long has she been in a condition without a decent meal? No one knows. Give her something to eat. That shows his consideration. But his consideration and understanding spirit didn't stop there. Then he tells them, don't tell anyone what's happened. That's curious because, you know, some of the most disturbing words in the English language today are those four words that we like to speak, but we hate to hear. And these are the words. I told you so. I told you so. It's fun to speak them, and we relish it when we're the ones saying it, but it's not fun to hear it from someone else. Come on, somebody. Uh, remember those people outside the house, what have they done when Jesus walked up and said, she's not dead, she's sleeping? What did they do? They mocked him, right? They, they, they laughed at Jesus before he went in to raise her back to life. Now, now if I was Jesus, come on. <laughs> If I was the Lord in that moment, I, I know what I'd have done. I would have raised the girl back to life. Then I would have taken her by the hand, and then I would have walked her outside in front of everybody and said, ah, I told you so. I told you so. In your face. That's what I would have done. <laughs> I had some fun with it, too. But we don't see Jesus doing that. He, he actually was concerned and considerate not just about her physical needs, give her something to eat. He was concerned and considerate about how the crowd felt, how the people in the room. He didn't try to get back at them. He didn't try to glorify himself. Instead, in kindness, he tells the parents, don't tell anyone what has happened here. Now, can I just say this? Sometimes it's not so much what you say is how you say it. Amen. It's what you do with what you know. One preacher said it, said, I've never had to apologize for my position, but I've oftentimes had to apologize for my disposition. Have you ever had to apologize for your disposition, your attitude? Don't raise your hand. I love the story. A few years ago, I heard about the 6'10 cowboy who walked up to the counter at McDonald's. He slammed down his big fist and he said to the girl behind the counter, I want a half of a Big Mac. And she said, what? He said, I want a half of a Big Mac and I want it now. Not being sure what to do, she said, excuse me for a minute, sir. And she headed over to a manager without realizing that the man was following her. She got to the manager and he said, there's this big old klutz over there who is dumber than brick and he has ordered a half of a Big Mac. And just about that moment she realized that he was standing right behind her and quickly she added, and this gentleman wants the other half. <laughs> I call that the foot and mouth disease. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we may... We may put on, a, we're put on a spot and what you say may be important, but how you say it is even more important than what you say. With my dad's, with my mom's, with my husband's, with my wife's, you're right, but you're saying it in the wrong spirit. 
I don't understand why I'm getting an attitude. It might be your disposition. Not saying that you're wrong, just saying you get the wrong attitude in the way you're delivering it. The fact that Jesus didn't want to embarrass those who had been mocking him or even get even with them speaks volumes and teaches us how we're to respond to each other as well. The Apostle Paul said, love is patient and love is kind. In fact, in the back of your sheet, I'm going to ask you to take uh, what we call a love test. You're going to discuss it in your life groups. But basically what you do is you substitute your name in place of everywhere where it says love is. Rick is patient. Is Rick patient? Is Rick patient enough? Rick is kind. Am I kind? Will my, my wife say I'm kind? Will my children say I'm kind? Right. Put your name in there everywhere it uses the word love, and it will tell you the areas of your life where you need to work on. Love keeps no records of wrong. wrong. Does Rick keep records of wrong? Some of you, when you get in arguments, you just don't get hysterical. You get historical. You can remember every single thing that that person did way back till the beginning of your relationship and even before then. And in the middle of your argument, you bring it back and then you say, I love you. I love you, but I'm keeping records of everything you've done. And Paul says, I'm going to show you what love is and what love isn't. Love keeps no records. It's getting quiet in here. So my challenge to you is to take the love test. And then in, the, in, your, in your group, you're going to discuss how'd you do? What do I need to what am I doing well in? And what are the areas that I need to work on? I'm going to end with a little story this morning. I heard about some construction workers who were building a high rise across the street from a hospital. And as they were working on the third floor, they noticed a little girl standing in the third floor window of the hospital watching them work. One day they looked across and they saw a little girl hold up a poster that said, my name is Lisa. What are your names? So the next day, the construction workers came back with some poster board of their own imagine markers, and they all wrote their names down. My name is Bob. My name is Bell. My name is Harry. How old are you? Next day, the little girl held up a sign that said, I'm seven years old. How old are you? Well, this went on for several days. But one day, they noticed that the little girl wasn't at her usual place in the window. And so at break time, one of the workers called the hospital, asked for a third floor nurse, and he asked if she could tell him anything about little Lisa. 
The nurse said that Lisa had taken a turn for the worse and was now in intensive care. So the workers, they pooled their money and they bought some flowers and a card and they wrote a note on it, sent it to Lisa in intensive care. Well, several days later, she passed away. And then another sign appeared in the window, placed there by the third floor nurse. Lisa passed away. Thank you for caring. Listen to me this morning. It's not my definition of what love is or your definition. It's what God says love is. And he says love is patient. And he says love is kind. And we need to learn to be kind to one another, even as God has been kind through Jesus Christ to every single one of us. And kindness also means that I'm going to allow God to give me holy interruptions. And those interruptions might come by way of those who have children or even grandchildren. It might mean I might need to make a little bit more time, even when I'm busy. It might be your wife that desperately needs to have a, a real heart-to-heart conversation. Or your husband who's, yeah, he's feeling it. It might be a stranger who God brings into your path. Who God has decided to have you be his hands and his feet and his mouth and his heart for such a time as that. When I look at this church and I realize what the scripture says, it doesn't say that they shall know you're Christians. You've heard me say this before by how much scripture you can quote. That's good. Spend time in the scripture. I do it daily. It doesn't say they shall know you're Christians by how big of a check you can write in the offering plate. And I encourage you to write big checks in the offering plate. Don't get me wrong with that doesn't say they shall know you're Christians by the number of, you know, Christian T-shirts you own or bumper stickers you put on your car. It says they shall know you're Christians or Christ followers by your love for one another. L- love is patient. And so there are going to be people who come in here who may not be at your spiritual level, and they're having a hard time. There's a brokenness in their family. They've just lost a job. Fighting with their parents. And they walk in here, and they need to experience the love of God by way of patience. They talk, they talk too much. You, you, you ask them how they're doing, and, they, and they, instead of giving you the, the clip note version, they're going into detail. How dare they? And he says, love is kind. And so God has called us to be a reflection of who he is. And I invite you to, for the next few weeks to be here for this series as we are heading into the Easter uh, season because God wants to pour our spirit out on this place. That was the last series, the gifts.
but he says there's an environment in which it works so that we're not getting caught up and puffed up and I've got this gift or I got that gift or I got this going on. He says all that noisy gongs, a clinging symbol if we don't have love. That's why Paul says I'm giving you a most excellent way. And then he defines it. These and this is what love looks like. And it's a direct reflection as to how God has treated every single one of us. Ephesians 4.31, it tells us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Get rid of it. Instead, what does he say? Help me out. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Be kind to each other. Who's each other? Does each other include your husband? Does it include your wife? Does it include your children? Does it include your pastor? I hope so. <laughs> and instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. How has God forgiven you? Is God a record keeper? Not for those who are under the blood. Come on, somebody. Not for those who've confessed their sins and asked his forgiveness. He says, I take your sins and I cast them in a sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. Interesting choice of words, east from the west. He could have said, I cast them as far as the, the north is from the south. But did you know that you can go to the North Pole and then at some point you reach the North Pole and then you start heading south? That's a fine night. He didn't say that. He said, from the east, I cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. That means if I start walking east, if I could, or even I got on a jet plane and started flying east, would I eventually start heading west? Come on, some of you look confused. It's, it's not a trick question. If I got on a jet plane and headed east, would I eventually go west? Say it with confidence. No, why? Because you can't get these from the east. He says, I take your sins and I remember them no more from the falls of east and from the west. It's not a north and south thing. It's an east and west. I don't remember them. It's under the blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus shed his blood. That's why I'm grateful for what God has done. He's not holding my sins or your sins against you. There is no reason not to walk in the fullness and the, uh, of the glory of the Lord in your life because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And then he says, the same way I've treated you, he says, I want you to treat each other. 
be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Question. Who are you keeping the record with? They shall know you are Christians by your love. Not as the world defines it or you, but as God defines it. And so when I start to walk in love the way God defines it, it can't fail. It can't. Not that it may not, it can't. When I start to walk in love the way the Bible does, defines it, your marriage ain't going down. It ain't. It can't. Relationships aren't breaking up. If your relationships are breaking up, it's because somebody is not walking in love. It's mm. my two cents. And so God has offered this love to every single one of us through his son, Jesus Christ. As we come to a close this morning, it will be my privilege and my honor to introduce you to the greatest person that ever walked this earth. His name is Jesus. And he's the greatest because of what he's done. He paid the ultimate price for every single one of us. He's not holding our sins against us. He says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. He says, all have sinned. The Bible says, all have sinned. Don't ever come here and say, oh, that's me, I'm cool. We have nothing to get right. No, the Bible says, all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. And what we all deserve, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when I place my faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of my sins, all my sins are washed away as far as the east is from the west. And he begin, I begin a brand new life in him. And he says, since I have forgiven you in this way, I want you to get rid of those things. Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, rage. Get rid of those things. That's no longer part of your life. Because what's going to draw people to him is when they see the love of Jesus on you. For they shall know you are Christians or Christ followers by your love for one another. And so as we come to a close this morning, I'll give, give two inv invitations. If there's stuff that you're holding on to, ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you of it. Just get rid of it. Confess it, get rid of it. If you're here today, you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord, I'll lead you in a prayer to do that. Let's everyone bow our heads and close our eyes and to pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I humbly bow my head and my heart to you today. I understand the gospel of who you are and what you've done 2,000 years ago on the cross dying not for your own sins for, but for the sins of the world for my sins 
I thank you and I ask you to forgive me. Today, I ask you to come into my life and to come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit, with your power, with your love. And I thank you for your amazing grace. And while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if there's stuff that God has shown you that you need to get rid of, unforgiveness, anger, rage, record keeping, ask him to take that away from you as well. Confess it as sin. Lord, I am sorry for holding on to these things in my life. Give me a a forgiving heart, the same heart that you displayed when you forgave me, tenderhearted, loving, full of kindness, especially toward those in my own house. In Jesus' name, I pray. And we all said, amen, amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.